So I'm going to start off this evening with um, kind of a bit of a confession to you all. I have noticed a tendency in my life and how I behave in certain environments that I, I've noticed it for years, but recently I've begun to think of how not proud of it I am. And, and what this tendency is, is I notice that when I walk into a new environment or a new room, sometimes I'll catch myself kind of looking around the room, surveying who's there, and kind of evaluating them and trying to figure out where I rank in whatever category the, the event is about, right? And so, for instance, when I was like a young single guy, this would mean if I were to walk into a social event, I might uh, look around and try to figure out like where I rank among the most eligible bachelors, right? So I might be thinking, all right, so those guys are dating someone already, so I don't want to worry about them. Uh, and then, you know, try to figure out like where I rank, like as far as trying to like win the heart, hearts of the ladies in the room or something. Uh, when I uh, play, bas play basketball sometimes, I'll, I'll walk under the court and I'll look around and think, all right, where do I rank as far as like best basketball players here? Now, when it comes to basketball, I'm terrible, so I just hope to be in like, the top 10 so I can like play, but I'm still doing that evaluation and comparing. I'm taking a class right now um, on preaching, right? And I, I walk into the classroom, and I, the first, especially the first time I walked in, I realized, man, everyone here is like an older, experienced preacher. And how is my preaching going to stack up against theirs? Like, you know, wh where am I going to rank as if it were like a college football ranking or something, you know? Maybe, am I the only one, or is this something that you all have noticed in your own lives? This, this tendency to compare and evaluate in different settings. Maybe for you, it's the classroom. Um, for me in college, the, the classroom wasn't as important as it should have been for me, so I didn't, this wasn't one of those areas. But maybe you walk into an academic situation and you're thinking, how are my assignments my, are going to compare to my peers? What is my professor, in his mind, am I going to be one of the best students in this room, or her mind, or you know, how's my grade going to compare? And if you're like me, and this is something you do sometimes, I want to ask you, how does this tendency to compare and evaluate, how does it make you feel about yourself? And how does it make you feel about other people? Because I found in my own life, it's 100% negative, right? And, and here's one example of how it's negative. I found that my ego is a little bit like a goldfish. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever had a goldfish? If you put it in like a little tank, like a little like fishbowl, it stays super small. You take that same goldfish out and put it in like an aquarium, it gets bigger. You put it in a koi pond and it gets huge, right? That's what my ego is like. It'll expand to whatever the space I'm in allows it to be if I'm not careful. And so if I'm looking around, I'm thinking, yeah, I think in this particular environment, I'm one of the you know, top dogs. I act like that to other people, which is to my shame. I should not be doing that. And if I walk in and I think, oh, no, I'm one of the new guys here, I kind of act in a timid, humble manner. And that's not, neither of those things are, should be what characterizes how and why I interact with people. So how does it affect you and your own life? Well, we're going to be looking at a parable of Jesus today where he addresses this precise tendency to compare and evaluate with other people. I think you're going to find this parable is shockingly relevant and practical. Surprisingly, especially compared to other parables, it is so, it, it, it kind of reminds me, and this is probably way too old of a book for y'all, but it reminds me, it could come right out of the pages of How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's like, it's as if it were written to, for us to know how to interact with other humans. 
So much so that some scholars read this and debate whether we should, and we're going to be looking at Luke 14, by the way, if you want to start turning there, but some scholars debate whether we should properly consider this a parable because it's, it's too practical, it seems, and too um, just about everyday life. But I think we're going to find as we read through it and talk about it that it is indeed a practical piece of practical advice, but more so, it is going to reveal to us a foundational spiritual principle about how the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in functions. So we're looking at Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can just Google Luke 14, and it's going to pop up. Um, And if you have a Bible, Luke's in the New Testament, which is like the last third of the Bible, you'll find it. It'll be great. But I'm going to start reading it. Uh, Now he, oh, uh, background. Here's what you got to know before I read this. Jesus is at a party. He's at like a dinner party. All right, that's key, critical to know. Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited, and he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Then, uh, that when your host come, he may say to you, friend, come up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray, and we'll talk a little bit about this passage. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible setup that we can come and um, talk about you and grow in community and stay safely, socially distanced at the same time. We're so grateful for this, Lord. Please speak to us tonight through your word. Amen. Okay, let's walk through this passage. Jesus, this is pretty funny. I think you're going to appreciate this. Jesus is at a dinner party, right? Oh, and before I explain more about this, I want you to be able to picture what I mean by dinner party. So when I think of dinner party, I picture what we'd have here in the States, like kind of a long wooden table maybe. The host sits at the head of the table. Maybe the host's spouse sits at the other head, and the guests sit along the sides. That is not at all what you should picture here. So um, in ancient, not ancient, this is, well, this is ancient, but in first century Greek culture, and the Jewish uh, culture was in some ways kind of um, impersonating the Greek culture in this context, uh, the way these kind of parties looked was you had to imagine like a horseshoe of mattresses, okay? Uh, And when I say mattress, I mean mattress. I'd heard that in Greek culture at this time, people reclined at dinner, but I kind of picture kind of leaning back like a lazy boy. No, apparently they're like laying down on their left side, eating with their right hand, which sounds like heartburn city to me. So it sounds like a terrible idea to me, but that's how they did it. Um, and the host would sit at the open end, or lay at the open end of the horseshoe. And the place of most honor, the most distinguished guest would sit, or sit, lay, on the mattress to his right, so one side of that horseshoe. The second most distinguished spot was like the left, and then it would work its way down, like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know. And then you get to like the end of the horseshoe, like the butt of the horseshoe, and that's where like the guy who was barely invited lays down, right? And so that's what you got to picture. And so Jesus is at this party, and he's taking part in the, uh, the age-old human custom of people watching, right? And as he watches, he's noticing two things. 
First, he's noticing that people, it seems at least, are walking in and doing the same thing I found myself doing. They're walking in and they're kind of looking around and thinking, where should I lay down? Not sit, lay down, right? And so I imagine they're thinking, okay, I've never met them, so they can't be that important. Um, oh, that guy's super important over there. So I won't take the most important spot, I'll take the second most important spot. And they, they take their mattress, right? So that's one thing Jesus notices, that same tendency that, that I've noticed in myself. The second thing is he noticed that people are bad at this. They, they seem to overestimate how important they are. And so as he notices this, he decides to tell a parable, and we'll define parable in a minute, but he tells a parable, like a story, to, to teach people how to choose where to sit at a, di a dinner party by telling them about a very similar kind of setup. He tells a story about a wedding feast, which is another party, kind of party, right? So he's at one party, and he tells a story about another party, right? So this would be kind of like if, um, if you guys during this talk thought, oh, man, I just really don't think Jerry, I, Jerry's humor just did not land at all during this talk, right? If afterward, you kind of came up to me and said, hey, Jerry, let me tell you a story about this time that I was at church and this pastor really thought he was funny and he wasn't, <laughs> right? So like, it, you, you're not exactly talking about this situation because we're like a college ministry, but it's close enough that I'm going to know what you're saying is, Jerry, you're not funny. Like the story is about you not being funny. Okay, so he's at a dinner party and he says, let me tell you a story about another kind of party, a wedding. And uh, he says, okay, imagine you're at a wedding feast, hypothetically, right? And uh, you're trying to figure out where to sit, right? Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to sit in the place of honor. And I'm wondering if as he's saying it, he's like looking directly at the guy who's sitting at the place of honor at the feast, right? Um, like kind of, you know, I'm talking about you. But either way, he says, don't take that seat. Why? Well, at least part of the reason I'm guessing is because, uh, um, oh, wait, no, he actually says it. Never mind, not part of the reason. Uh, he says, well, what could happen is maybe you don't know it, but a local celebrity has been invited, but he's just not here yet. And so the, the problem is he's going to show up and the host is going to have to come up to you and say, hey, man, I'm sorry, but this seat is not for you. It's for this guy over here. And you're going to have to get up in front of everyone. It's going to be embarrassing and go sit in a less important seat. And maybe you were supposed to be in like the third most important seat, really, but now that seat's already taken. So you've got to go sit all the way at the butt of the horseshoe, and it's going to be really shameful and really embarrassing. So don't do that. Instead, here's what you want to do. Go ahead and sit in the worst possible spot. Go sit at that lumpy, or lay down, right, in that lumpy mattress all the way at the butt of the horseshoe, right? Why? Well, he doesn't say this, but maybe, maybe like worst case scenario, like that should have been where you sat anyways. Like you're the person who was, should barely have been invited to this event, but you don't know it. And at least you're not like embarrassed in front of everyone. But he says, more likely, the host is going to be like embarrassed that you put yourself in such a low place of honor and come up to you and say, hey, I mean, let me put you in a more important spot. And in front of everyone, you're going to be honored and uh, shown to be important, and it's going to be really fantastic, right? This kind of reminds me, um, I used to fly a lot for work. Um, uh, no, I didn't fly. I was in an airplane where someone else was flying. But I flew enough that I accumulated a, a whole lot of frequent flyer miles, and I got, so if you get enough frequent flyer miles in a certain period of time, you get status on the airline. And I was like platinum status on Delta Airlines. And the best thing about that 
is uh, you get upgraded sometimes to first class. So you might not know this, but almost no one who sits in first class, some people do, but almost no one is paying for it. They're all people who travel a whole bunch, and uh, they bought a coach ticket, but they got first class because the airline's trying to keep them happy. Right? And, but normally this happens, you walk in like through the, the, like you're getting your ticket scanned, and they say, oh, Mr. Riando. I'm Mr. Riando, by the way. Uh, Mr. Riando, you can call me Jerry, though. Uh, you, uh, it look, looks like you're, thank you for being a loyal customer. We're going to give you a first class ticket today. Right? And that's really great. But every once in a while, this is how it happens. You've all, you, you go through, you get your ticket scanned, and you're, they don't, you don't get a first class ticket. And you're disappointed, or I'm disappointed. And you go and you sit in the coach seat. And you're cramped, and you're upset. But then in the distance, you see a flight attendant walking towards you. And what has happened is someone didn't show up they thought was going to show up in first class. And you're the next in line. And the flight attendant comes towards you and says, are you Mr. Riando? And I say, oh, I sure am. And she says, I have a seat for you in first class. And in front of everyone, I stand up and walk past all the plebeians, right? <laughs> and I go and I sit and drink something cool and refreshing in first class, right? So he's saying, like, is if you put yourself in places of, like, low honor, you're going to be honored in front of everyone else. You're going to feel important. It's going to be great, right? So Jesus here concludes his practical, helpful, ethical piece of advice. And you can sum it up like this. When you walk into a room or a social setting, choose a humble place and manner. So like if you walk in a basketball court, don't presume to be the captain. Let someone say you're the captain. If you're going to Thanksgiving, don't sit at the head of the table. Go sit at like the kid's table, right? And then hope that you're going to be invited to the main table. And in doing so, you will avoid dishonor and potentially even receive honor. The end. Except, of course, that's not the end. Hopefully, if you've, been hang- oh, if you've been hanging out with us for any period of time, you know that's, that's not how we read the Bible here at Krill. The Bible is not primarily a book of, of helpful advice, although there is some helpful advice here. This story is actually about a lot more than what it appears to be on the surface. And how do we know that's the case? Anyone know? Anyone know any guesses? How do we know? Yeah, Hunter. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we know the, the Bible is, but in this, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, that's right, sorry. Uh, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic there. Um, but there's another way we know. This is a parable. And a parable is a specific genre. So to read this story and think it's just ethical advice or helpful advice for navigating social situations would be to um, would be like reading, like reading um, oh, what's something that's super like symbolic? Um, oh, what's the story with the cat, the Cheshire cat, Alice in Wonderland, and thinking that it's, and not knowing it's actually about using drugs, right? You'd be totally missed the point. And so what is a parable? Well, there's a lot of ways to define parable, but it's at least this. It's a story that tells a spiritual truth. And whenever Jesus tells parables, The truth he's telling us about is what the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom that he has come to usher in. In other words, he's telling us how God's economy functions. And here's what we're supposed to learn here, that in God's economy, in the way that he functions, the way that he determines our worth and value, is pride and presumption leads to shame and dishonor and ultimately destruction. And ultimately, what's the ultimate end of destruction for pride and presumption? Well, unfortunately, it's hell. 
On the other hand, humility leads to honor and exaltation, not just at parties, but for eternity. And what do I mean? Well, let's just jump all the way to like almost the ultimate meaning of this parable. This parable is a picture of salvation. Becoming a Christian is almost the ultimate example of a person humbling him or herself and therefore being exalted. What do I mean? Well, in order to become a follower of Jesus, the first thing you have to do is recognize what the Bible says about you is true. And what the Bible says about you is not a pretty picture. It says that all of us are sinful. All of us have chosen at some level to to go directly against God's will, to worship things that are not God. In fact, do you know what almost a simile for sinful is? It's, it's evil, right? The, the Bible does not paint a pretty picture of humanity. And I think, that, to be honest, like when we're being super real with ourselves, we read that description of what humanity is, and we say, yeah, that actually does describe my innermost thoughts, that really is who I am. I am not, I'm not actually a good person. I'm, I'm not. And then it's acknowledging that I can do nothing on my own to improve my situation. Nothing on my own. There's not much more humbling in the world than those two admissions. That I need mercy and I need grace to fix my situation. And then, okay, and so here's what becoming a follower of Christ is sort of like. It's like walking into a party and instead of looking up and, and sizing up the crowd to see where you stand, is seeing the host of the party and realizing, I don't deserve to breathe the same air that the host is breathing. And it's falling down at your feet before the host. And if you haven't picked it up, the host is God. And saying, and saying, I don't deserve to be here. Can I just have some crumbs off the table? It's humility. It's the ultimate example. One of the ultimate examples of humility. Second most ultimate. But just like in this parable, the host picks you up and sets you in the place of honor at the table. And you get to join the feast. So this parable really is about how the kingdom of God functions, and we can see that. And before I get to, well, I'll say that in a second. There's some application I think we can take here. There's a whole bunch of application and about just living humble lives. We talked about some of this already in our series on Philippians, which if you haven't noticed, we've pressed pause on, by the way. But we will come back to it. Um, but here's at least one piece of application from this parable. We should, as followers of Jesus, as people who recognize our lowly position before God, but have been raised to an exalted position by grace alone, we should um, relate to the lowly and the humble around us more than the proud and powerful around us. So when you walk into a room and you're like sizing up you know, where everyone stands, the people at the bottom are your people. They're the people who are most like us in having recognized, man, we don't, we don't, we're not really as good as we think we are, right? And so this is kind of hard. So I, I was going to ask the question, who are the people who are in our university community we consider lowly and humble? But we could probably think of some ideas here but we don't live in quite the same class society as first century um, uh, Greeks and Jews did. And even in the world of America, like the, the American culture, the university is probably the closest thing to a meritocracy that you're going to run into, right? Um, 
for a number of reasons. And so here's how I want you to think about this. Regardless of if there's a class system or not, and there is a bit of a class system here, I want you to think of your own dinner party. Imagine you're throwing a dinner party, and you're inviting the 20 most, in your eyes, important people of the universe, the 20 people you respect the most, that you want to spend time with the most, and kind of like mentally fill your table. Maybe you've got some of the, 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 the president, the VPs of the university there. Maybe you've got some of the most um, renowned professors. Maybe you've got some of the football team players or basketball, well, the guys' basketball team, not as much as the ladies' basketball team. But we've got some of the, the important athletes who are there, right? Maybe your closest friends are there. Maybe the, the SGA president's there, right? Now kind of picture your table of the most important people here. Let me ask you this, who is missing? Who wasn't invited to the party? Maybe what kinds of people are missing and weren't invited to the party? There's a, there's a few, few thoughts as we think about this. It's, it's how, are we, how can we reflect the message's parable by relating to those who are humble and lowly by worldly standards around us? Here's three thoughts I had. One, one category that wouldn't have been invited to my party are just people who are hard to get along with. Right? This has never happened during my time at JMU, clearly, at least during any time that any of you were students here. But before that, before any of you were in any of my Bible studies, right, every year I found that there was always one painfully awkward guy who would come to my, my Bible study that I lead. And when I say painfully awkward, I don't mean painful for him. I mean like painful for me, right, to interact with. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd catch myself thinking things like, ah, this would be so much easier if that guy wasn't here. Think about that for a second. What am I doing? I am trying to, in my mind, my heart wants to say to this guy, you're not important enough to be here. You're not, you, don't, you don't deserve a spot at this table. And that is the least Christ-like thing I could think. Uh, but there's other reasons why people might be hard to get along with, not just because they're awkward, but maybe they're just mean. Or maybe they are just kind of Debbie Downers, right? The people you might not want to have around you, but they may be the people that Jesus wants you to be showing love to. Maybe there are people at this university who are from a lower socio or economic background than you. Maybe those are the people you wouldn't naturally connect with. And, and maybe even they come from a different ethnic background than you, if we're being honest with ourselves. Maybe those are the people who you just not naturally want to show love to or spend time with. Or maybe they're people you look down to for some reason. And maybe it's because you look down on them for their moral lifestyle. And I'm not saying all moral lifestyles are equal, right? They're not. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to relate to and to spend time with and to love those who, even those who don't have their act together. All right, but here's the controversial one. You ready for it? Maybe they're people you look down on because you have a different political opinion than them. Be honest with yourself. If you were throwing a dinner party and someone who was wearing an article of clothing that was supporting the other candidate, the one you're supporting, showed up, what's going to go on in your heart? Are you going to cringe? Are you going to be totally happy? I, I'm, if we're being honest, like, I, I think that many of us would say, I would wish that person wasn't there, right? In our mind, at least, they are a they're less than, they're lower, because they're wrong and because they're ignorant or because whatever reason, right? Um, 
but we associate with the lowly in our community and the lowly in our own eyes because Jesus associated with us when we were lowly. So imagine walking into a large group. This is the environment, I guess. Now, I was picturing when I wrote this, like NGO, our old room we used to meet in, but this is it now. So you walk in, and I was going to say, would you sit with someone who fit one of these categories? But I'll say instead, would you sit six feet away from someone who fit one of these categories, right? Would you be willing to associate with them? Would you be willing to love them? As followers of Jesus, we are not allowed to treat people in a disrespectful or condescending manner, period. No matter the reason. We were lifted up from a lowly place of sin and death and seated in a place of honor that we do not deserve. We cannot turn around and act superior to anyone. Just period. That's the ethic of Christ, and that is something I think this parable can teach us. But I'll tell you what, this is really hard. This is really hard. It sounds like a draining and hard way to live your life, right? Doesn't it? Let me give you one more piece of motivation. I said a little while ago that becoming a follower of Christ is like one of the most ultimate ways this parable pictures a spiritual truth. There's one more ultimate way, and it's, it's exactly from the passage of Philippians we spoke on a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm going to tie this into our Philippians series. And it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Try, it's so hard. I, I'm, I have such a hard time learn, like actually hearing when someone reads something to me. But try really hard to focus on this. This is on Philippians 2, 5 through 10. And try to think, how does this relate to our story? Jesus is, okay, so Paul is talking about Jesus. And he says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and made in human kindness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death in a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You catching this? This parable is actually about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who should have been seated in the place of honor, but has said, no, I'm going to go sit at the butt of the horseshoe on that lumpy mattress over there. He lowered himself in the most often way possible. And then, because he lowered himself, it says the Father has now exalted him to the highest place, to the seat of honor. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, in this parable, is talking about how his economy functions, and the ultimate example of how his economy functions is how he was treated on the cross and after the cross by being exalted. It's amazing. And it gives us the only possible motivation that I could imagine to be able to actually live a life where I treat people with dignity and respect. Because when I did, absolutely did not deserve those things, Jesus treated me with those things, and he loved me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's done the same to you. Now, this does not mean that we have to equally agree with or think everyone around us is equally right, right? It doesn't mean we can't help correct wrong thinking. It doesn't mean we can't call people from sinful lifestyles to lifestyles that are more honored to God. It doesn't mean any of that thing. But it does mean that we show love and we associate with people regardless of how we want to consider them and how we want to place them in our seats of honor. So love your neighbor like Jesus loves you and loves him or her. So I'm going to close in prayer, and uh, the band's going to come up. I'll be outside afterward. Um, 
So not like outside this room, like actually outside. So feel free to come grab me, talk to me. I'd love to discuss this more with you. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we were lowly and wretched and poor, you came and you lifted us up to the seat of honor. And God, thank you that you were willing to be lowered, um, to be willing to be wretched and poor for our sake. And then you were lifted up to the seat of honor as well. God, we praise you and we love you. And we ask that you continue to um, be with us as we worship you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and listening. If you want to find out more information on what you heard, you can check out our website at jmucrew.com.